gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Welcome to episode number three. It is Monday, August the 8th, 2016. Simon Head and Shamak Harsandu coming to you direct from London, England to bring you a British take on the last seven days in the crazy world of mixed martial arts. And hasn't it been crazy this week, Sandu? It's been nuts. It has. There's been lots going on, uh, both with in Octagon action with the UFC's event uh, in Salt Lake City. Um, but there's been a hell of a lot going on uh, outside of the cage, which we're going to get to. So, um, yeah, I can't believe it. Already episode three. And um, I've just been blown away by the response we've had from our audience, from listeners. The feedback's been very uh, helpful. Uh, we obviously want to make sure that we're improving uh, wherever we can. And uh, yeah, it's just been great to kind of see the reaction from everybody, especially with the reviews and the ratings that we've got uh, on iTunes. Um, got some news where, Simon, you have got us now on Acast, right? That's right, yeah. So you'll be able to subscribe to us via Acast if you're a fan of uh, distraction pieces from Scroobius people you'll be familiar with the Acast platform they've got a downloadable app so as well as iTunes as well as SoundCloud as well as Stitcher you can now get us on Acast as well we will tweet out the details of how to get us from Acast after the show so be sure to check that out twitter.com slash the MMA. here's what's coming up this week we will take a look back at UFC Fight Night in Salt Lake City Utah as Mexican featherweight star Yair Rodriguez saw his star rise even further after his main event win, then we'll talk about the big story of the week. And I know some people are tired of it already, but we cannot ignore what is going on with Conor McGregor right now. The story actually started earlier in the week, and we'll talk about that as well. But it exploded last night when he decided to pick a fight with the entire WWE roster. Fantastic stuff. And we'll also take a look ahead to McGregor's next fight against the man who beat him, Back at UFC 196, Nate Diaz. They meet again in Las Vegas at UFC 202. Chuck in a few questions from you and hopefully a few answers from us. And uh, that'll be episode number three of the Brit Pack. Crazy week, Sandu. Looking back at UFC Fight Night this this past weekend, two spectacular fighters in the main event. Yair Rodriguez getting, that, getting the victory after a very well-contested fight. People talking about him as one for the future. He's pretty much one for the present now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's only 23 years old, um, but um, he's 8-1 now, undefeated in the UFC, 5-0 um, in the UFC. And he's that was a type of fight you'd want to show someone that hasn't watched MMA before. It was very entertaining, very pleasing on the eye. I mean, this, this kid, Yair Rodriguez, he is... Spinning leg kicks, spinning back fist. He's basically throwing a lot of spinning S-H-I-T, as uh, as the Diaz brothers have said in the past. Nick Diaz kind of throwing that line in um, versus Carlos Condit in their fight. But um, but no, very, very entertaining fight. Um, you know, really kind of, I could watch that again and again and again. Um, I was happy with two of the judges um, who scored it 48-47. I have no idea what one of the judges was thinking, no. scoring it 49-46 for Caceres. Yeah. Um, that needs to be looked at. Uh, but at the same time, it was the UFC's promotional debut in Utah. Um, so I don't know if it was a local judge um, that was kind of brought in there. I don't think it was. I think, and I might, I'll stand corrected on this, I think it was Derek Cleary who's done a few. Okay. Um, so uh, I don't know whether they take a lot of their, a lot of their uh, officials from the Vegas area, because Utah, not that far from, from Nevada. Right. Um, so I think I think it was Derek Cleary, but um, but yeah, that that was a strange scorecard for sure. And I, I liken that fight to if you watch a couple of kids playing Street Fighter or Tekken or whatever the the most up to date uh, fighting game is, because I'm nearly forty years old and I don't touch <laughs> games consoles anymore. Um, it was like you know when you learn these games, you learn punch, kick, duck. And then you discover the special moves, right? right? And you might learn or you might discover how to do one. And you just use that over and over and over and over again. Watching Yair Rodriguez fight is like watching someone who knows all his special moves and isn't really interested in doing the basic jabbing and easy leg kicks. Why do that when you can throw a flying a flying hitch kick or a spinning back fist? He's like he's a walking, talking Mortal Kombat character. He's, yeah. he's, he's great to watch. And I thought Alex Caceres, even though he lost... He, I think his reputation is only heightened by that performance as well. What do you reckon? Yeah, uh, his stock definitely um, went up in that performance. I think for both of them, it was good to kind of get that main event platform as well. Headlining a card, you know, it kind of 
gets more eyeballs on them, more media coverage and so forth. But going back to Rodriguez, I mean, he's 23. Um, he's Mexican. Obviously, Mexico uh, is a massive market for the UFC's uh, expansion globally. Um, and I know they've had Kenny Velasquez in the past, but having someone homegrown, indigenous from um, Mexico, speaks the language fluently, um, actually conducted his post-fight interview with John Anik in Mexican first before giving the kind of English translation. Um, I thought it was great that he had uh, a full 25 minutes um, octagon time, which I think will do him great moving forward to kind of get that experience under his belt. But I think moving forward, you want to be really careful with how you matchmake him. Um, I don't think you want to throw him into the lion's den, so to speak, with maybe the top four, top five guys in the featherweight division. Um, maybe so, I mean, I think he was ranked uh, number 13, if I'm not mistaken, going into this fight. So this should break him into the top 10. Um, I think somewhere, someone maybe in and around that top 10 um, ballpark, maybe someone like Darren Elkins, who's currently ranked number 11. That'd be a test. That'd be a test, because I think Darren Elkins is a kind of fighter who's gritty, a grappler, grinds out a lot of decisions. Um, and I think that would be a good next step up. Um, for Yair Rodriguez, but also give him the ability to fight somebody where he can still kind of showcase his 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 full maximum potential, which I think we're we're far from seeing what his real full capabilities really are. Absolutely, and that fe- that featherweight division, probably more than any other division in the UFC right now, a it's absolutely stacked to the girls with talent, but in terms of young up and coming talent, that's the division to keep an eye on. You know, you look at someone like Max Holloway who. It feels like he's been in the UFC for years. He's still really young. You know, he's still in his, his mid-20s. He's in a position where all these guys are at the top of the division at the moment. They could work their way out of the sport, get a bit older and, and, and fall away. He's still reaching his peak. You know, this is a guy who, he's that he's, he's probably one win away from being a potential championship contender. And he's one of the younger guys out there. Duho Choi is a guy I love watching fight. He's at featherweight. And you've obviously got Yaya Rodriguez as well. And you've got such a, such a, a pool of talent there. And mm. um, we saw Dennis Bermudez was in action at the weekend. Yep. Uh, he's a guy who at his best can, can really mix it with anybody in that division. He's really talented. Um, and, uh, it's such a, it's such a shark tank of a division. I know lightweights is probably strength and depth, probably the, the most talented, but featherweights is arguably the most excited right now, especially if you're looking two, three, two, three, four years down the line. It's going to be pretty spectacular stuff in that 145-pound division. And speaking of the 145-pound division, a man who hasn't competed at that weight since December last year, uh, a certain Mr. Conor McGregor, um, has managed to break himself into the uh, the MMA headlines, the uh, the professional wrestling headlines. He's been trending on Twitter. He's been doing all sorts. Remarkable timing. Some would say perfect timing given he's got a very large pay-per-view event coming up around the corner. Conor McGregor is on every, is, is the voice on everyone's lips right now, uh, and it's all to do with the WWE. Yeah, well, this all started on the media conference call on Friday. Um, I, I was actually um, a participant on, on that call, you know, got a couple of questions in. Um, but essentially, a reporter asked McGregor if, uh, I think, if my memory serves me correctly, if he'd like to participate um, in the WWE one day and what his thoughts were on the WWE and the wrestlers and so forth. And let he, and he essentially gave a less than flattering um, comment on what he thought about the wrestlers, um, throwing a few profanities in here and there. Um, and And I thought that was it. But lo and behold, um, I wake up on Sunday morning and he's thrown out a, a tweet following up from his comments on, on Friday, um, essentially saying um, that um, he didn't think too highly of the WWE roster. He wanted to apologize to the fans, but essentially said he could beat anyone in the WWE twice on Sunday. And that then led to quote replies, uh, instant replies, or just general mentions from some of the who's who of the WWE roster, which includes Ric Flair, Roman Reigns, Kurt Angle, AJ Styles, Chris Jericho. That's just to name a few. Um, and to say that they weren't happy with what McGregor had to say is, is an understatement. Um, and I know that we both had stories out, me on Fighters Only, you at The Sun. Um, but what, what did you make of it, Simon? I think the man is a genius. I think the man is a genius. Let's 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 look at this, right? He was asked a question in a conference call, uh, which contained only MMA media, uh, people who were only there to talk about MMA. 
But he was asked a question that allowed him to stretch out of that bubble a little bit. He gave a controversial answer, which a few people reported on at the time. Not that many, actually. I think Fox might have done a story on it. One or two outlets might have done a story on it. Um, now, that story would have died away. and was in the process of dying away by the time it got to the weekend. McGregor, presumably thinking, that should have got more traction than it, than it actually did. I'm going to double down on this. He then moves himself out of the MMA bubble, jumps straight on Twitter with his 2 million plus followers, at, at tags WWE, uh, apologises to the fans, or all respect to the fans, but I will. I think the, the phrase was, slap the face off your entire roster and twice on Sundays. That's just sort of like the blue touch paper, retire to a safe distance, put your feet on the table and watch the mentions come rolling in. And that's exactly what happened. Um, he was. I've got a list. You mentioned some here. Kurt Angle, Roman Reigns, Sasha Banks, Bubba Ray Dudley, AJ Styles, Sheamus, Ric Flair, Chris Jericho, Baron Corbin, Rusev, Becky Lynch, Fit Finley, Drew Galloway, Titus O'Neil, Curtis Axel, John Bradshaw, Layfield, Kofi Kingston, MVP, Jonathan Coachman, now with ESPN and covering MMA these days, and of course Mauro Ronaldo, who uh, tweeted a few absolute zingers uh, in, in response. Now, as per midnight on Sunday night, that, if you include McGregor's tweets and the replies or the tweets addressing it from those names, that amounted to 80,000 retweets. 80,034 retweets. 111,468 favourites. Reaching 19.3 million Twitter users. Wow. Conor McGregor knows what he's doing. Yep. Because... Okay, a lot of the people who are being reached by this message aren't going to care too much for him, right? The people who get it and I'm, will, will understand it. And there's an argument for saying, shouldn't these wrestlers understand what he's doing? They might well understand what he's doing. And there may even be something further down the line. We may see Conor McGregor pitch up at WrestleMania or turn up heading up an all-Irish team in the... Uh, in the Survivor Series. We don't know. You know, he could tell, just do a bit of a figurehead appearance and he'd bring the house down because all the, all the wrestling fans would be giving him loads of stick. Good for business, right? Good, good for whoever, whether it's WWE, UFC. But it's all about putting bums on seats, buying pay-per-views. McGregor has just widened his reach even more. Okay, a lot of those people are going to want him to get his backside kicked. He doesn't care. He gets pay-per-view points. The man is a genius. Well, the old saying is any publicity is good publicity. And when you've got uh, probably one of the biggest events and pay-per-views in UFC history coming up in a couple of weeks, it's not going to hurt to get yet another demographic uh, as an audience to buy in to the pay-per-view. Um, we've seen it happen before in the past. We've seen the UFC kind of lend talent to uh, the WWE with the likes of Ronda Rousey making an appearance at WrestleMania. We've got Brock Lesnar, who just competed at UFC 200. We've got CM Punk, who's just about to compete for the UFC in Cleveland at UFC 203. So the relationship with the, with the UFC and WWE has been around for a long time, all the way going back to when Ken Shamrock first made uh, the, the transition from MMA over into professional wrestling. And with the demographic that's in the ballpark of your 18 to 35 males, I think the WWE universe tends to even get a younger demographic who potentially could uh, transition into uh, an MMA uh, demographic, what Conor McGregor is doing right there is, like you said, bringing in another audience in. And who's to say that perhaps somewhere down the road we won't see McGregor you know, cash in another, another check, courtesy of the McMahon family, courtesy of the WWE, by perhaps making a special appearance at WrestleMania. We saw not too many years ago uh, Floyd Mayweather, make an appearance at WrestleMania in a, in a, in a wrestling match of with, sorts, of sorts um, <laughs> with the big show. So it's all entertainment, you know, and for McGregor to put himself out there as sort of like the super uber eel of the professional wrestling world, um, he's setting himself up um, for potential, you know, paychecks down the road uh, from the WWE. But I thought, like you mentioned, in terms of metrics, it was fantastic. His, his, I mean, McGregor's Twitter following is already around the 2 million mark and these professional wrestlers have way more in terms of a general average than your regular MMA fighter does and for them to be uh, mentioning um, his Twitter handle, the Notorious MMA, yeah, I'm sure he got a ton of new followers and mentions. I think even today earlier on, I just googled Twitter 
because um, I normally do that to kind of just open up the general Twitter um, uh, website. I Googled Twitter, the very top um, news item was Conor McGregor calling out the WWE. That just goes to show um, how far his reach is and how smart of a businessman he really is. And you can bet that he'll be getting referenced in on, on SmackDown Live and on Raw. It's a talking point right now. And who's to say that one of the, one of the stars won't reference him on the mic? All these things are possible. All these things are possible. And while some people like to deny the fact that there's a relationship between professional wrestling and mixed martial arts, it's there. Yeah. You can't ignore it. Yeah. Uh, I, think, I think we need to embrace it. We need to understand there are certain similarities. There are also a lot of very, very clear differences. Sure. But what we are talking about here uh, is they're both, both, both disciplines, if you want to call them disciplines, incredibly uh incredibly uh competitive in terms of the business that they're in uh also in terms of the physicality involved yeah if you think professional wrestling is quotes fake you're missing it you just don't get what you're looking at um the stuff those guys do and they do it every other day almost they do they work 360 days 350 days a year uh the schedule is ridiculous so i also think from a mixed martial arts point of view what they're doing is as real as it gets to use an old an old marketing slogan. You know they're the best of the best when it comes to you know unarmed combat. So uh, I think you know there's a healthy respect between both industries. I think, and I think the fact that the McMahon's and the WWE are even entertaining any kind of discussion about the UFC tells you that. And likewise with the UFC, they're more than happy to have their superstars reference in WWE and having their talent over there uh, appearing in WrestleManias and things like this. It's all good for business. It's all mutual back-scratching. It works. But uh, what it all does boil down to for Conor McGregor, of course, is his fight with Nate Diaz yep. at UFC 202, which is uh, a fortnight away. Um, I'm heading over uh, next Monday. So we're going to pre-record our show uh, ahead, of, ahead of me flying over. Uh, and the following show will be live. What's well, say live? It'll be from UFC 202, where we'll get some post-fight reaction uh, after that Conor McGregor-Nate Diaz about a huge fight for McGregor. It's the one he wanted. It's the one he demanded. Does the does the fight make sense? I think it makes sense from a business point of view. It makes sense from the UFC's point of view. It makes a hell of a lot of sense from McGregor and Nate Diaz's bank account point of view. I mean, uh, the the metrics and you know the, the UFC never really truly reveal um, the actual pay per view buys. But if you're gonna go and, um, and and look at someone that's respectable in the media that reports on pay per view numbers, like a, a Dave Meltzer, um, then you're gonna obviously lean towards you know the figure of 1.5, 1.6 million, something in that ballpark of what. Um, UFC 196 achieved. I was I was there that night. I was in the crowd, and it's 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 been one of the most remarkable nights I've ever experienced. Following on from Holly Holm uh, losing to Misha Tate, and then I, I I didn't see it coming. I really didn't. I thought Nate Diaz coming in on 11 days' notice, and we found out afterwards that he was on a, on a boat on a yacht somewhere with Gilbert Melendez, knocking back um, the tequila, hanging out, chilling out, enjoying a, a bit of a vacation. And for him to come in on 11 days' notice with really no time to prepare and get in there with someone that's had a full camp, um, fine, fair enough. It wasn't the weight class he was scheduled to fight on, but um, but still, um, he was a heavy, heavy favourite to beat Nate Diaz. And Diaz ups, got the upset of the year and set up a massive, massive pay, pay packet for himself. And um, I've been watching this, um, I tweeted out actually, this recap that a... Uh, um, a Facebook fan page of Diaz Brothers um, put out there. It's absolutely brilliant. I might even uh, tweet it out again so everyone uh, listening can maybe check it out. But it's a, basically a short eight-minute recap of their entire first fight and everything that built, led up to the fight, some of the media interviews, the press conferences, some of the shenanigans that went on during fight week leading up to their first fight. And it kind of really got my juices going, kind of gave me the goosebumps up and down my arm just thinking about these two fighting again. Um, I think the preparation and the build-up has been a little bit different this time round. I think there's a higher level of seriousness. I don't think we've seen as much back and forth and banter and trash talk as we did the first time around. Um, I think that Nate Diaz and McGregor will both come in a lot better prepared uh, this time round. Um, but I think the outcome might be the same. I think if Nate Diaz was able to beat McGregor on 11 days' notice, what is a full camp Nate Diaz 
prepared to do and willing to do and able to do. Um, I think McGregor, uh, to his credit, will come in a lot smarter, a lot better prepared, uh, a better game plan and strategy, better cardio for the 170-pound uh, weight class. But I think the longer, rangier, um, and more adept to both jiu-jitsu and striking fighter that we have in Nate Diaz um, will just give him the edge once again. But that's my take on the fight. That's my take on who I think will win. Um, but you're going to be there, Simon. You were there, I believe, the first time round again. Yep. You're going to be octagon side. What are your feelings on the fight with literally just... We're counting down the days now. Um, and what's your kind of breakdown on the fight and your prediction? The thing, the first thing I'd say is, is a complete change of narrative from Conor McGregor. Um, if you go back and you listen to the Conor McGregor interviews, he's had opponents pull out on him uh, on more than one occasion in his UFC career. And the thing that the line has always come out of SBG, whether it's a, a McGregor fight, whether it's been a Paddy Houlihan fight, whether it's been a Gunnar Nelson fight, is we don't prepare for other fighters. We prepare for fights. Our guys are ready whoever steps in. Now, that narrative has been completely switched now. They have prepared specifically for Nate Diaz. Uh, McGregor said this. He said, uh, we're doing this because we know he isn't going to pull out. We know this is the guy we're fighting. There's no danger of anyone falling out. But what it also does is tells you how dangerous they know Nate Diaz is. It tells you how much respect they have for Nate Diaz. They can't just do a standard fight camp, uh, a catch-all one-size-fits-all fight camp for Nate Diaz because they did that and they lost. So now they're having to really tighten up the focus now. They're preparing for an opponent, well, openly for the first time. They may have been preparing for opponents behind the scenes previously, but in terms of public public discussion, this is the first time they've said, we're preparing for this guy. And uh, that's the first the first thing I've noticed. The level of respect between the two. I know McGregor has attempted to put a few bits and pieces out there, soundbite wires to just sort of get under Nate's skin. But you can, even on that conference call... There Nate's was, not biting. Nate is not biting on Na- this, is he? No, he's not. He's, he's just letting it all wash over him. He knows what to do. He's sitting back in a chair. He also is doing it with the confidence of a guy who's already won against this guy once. And he did it on 8 or 11 days' notice. Um, this time, he's having a full fight camp. He's gonna, the, biggest, the biggest danger for Nate is probably overconfidence. Mm. I think that's the biggest danger for him. Uh, McGregor's going to be focused. What I would say in terms of the fight itself, as long as that fight lasted first time round, it was an absolute barn burner of a fight. Mm. A fantastic fight. We're going to see that again. And I think it might go longer. Mm. Um, I, think, uh, I think what we're going to see, I th- you know, we could see a fight of the year contender. Um, the build-up hasn't been as, as, as big. But I think that will all change once we hit fight week and they start doing the big media interviews with the big outlets and stuff. And I think we will start to see it ramp up. I'm sure they'll do another pre-fight press conference in Vegas. Uh, we'll have the open workouts. We'll have all of that. And I think by the time fight night comes, people will be people will be right on the edge of their seat waiting to see what happens. Because normally, if you were looking at a rematch, you'd, you'd go with the guy who won the first one. Yeah. You factor in the uh, the issue of the, uh, the the lack of preparation from Diaz and the fact he's he's going to come in he's not going to be undercooked he's going to be absolutely on it that only plays more into his favour absolutely the amount of increment like in terms of how much more you can get McGregor had a full fight camp he's going to have another full fight camp but it's going to be a bit more tailored whereas Diaz he had no fight camp and then he's coming in with a tailored full fight camp. So the difference is much, much bigger for him. And he won last time. Yep. So in theory, all common sense points to a Nate Diaz win. And that's how I feel about it at the moment. But you can't count out Conor McGregor. He's, he's a prodigious talent. He's superb at what he does. The question is, has he just gone a little bit too too far? Is this a bridge too far for him? Is 170 pounds Nate Diaz just a little bit too big? Just a little bit too strong for him? Would he do better against Diaz at 155? Quite possibly. But at 170, can he handle Diaz's power? A strong, healthy Nate Diaz who hasn't got to cut loads of weight. Um, That's going to be really interesting to see. As I say, it's going to be a barn burner, but I find it hard to see anything other than Nate Diaz winning again. If, he, if McGregor wins, it's going to be... At the, well, the roof's going to come off the T-Mobile Arena. It's going to be crazy. Well, I'll tell you what. I mean, 
McGregor's route to victory nine times out of ten is to plant that left hand on his opponent's chin and, and knock them out. Nate Diaz has never been knocked out. I mean, you know, I mean, the closest he's come to uh, a, a knockout is a technical knockout. Josh Thompson against yeah. a jump, with against, a head kick. Exactly against Josh Thompson, and um, you know he's proven he's got a, a reliable chin on him. But going back to what you said about McGregor potentially winning, my question on the conference call was about that very same thing. I asked Conor McGregor, is beating this man, is beating Nate Diaz going to be enough for you? That will just equal the series 1-1. Do you want to perhaps set up a trilogy fight should you win? His answer was emphatically yes. Nate Diaz said the same thing. So if McGregor wins, we could possibly have a third fight between these guys set up maybe by the end of the year. Who knows, depending on how both guys feel after the fight medically. Who knows, could it be something that they could get together quite quickly for New York? Who knows? But um, I think... McGregor's the one that has all the pressure on him. He needs to win for himself, for his legacy, for this current wave of momentum he's built up over the last couple of years. If he ends 2016 with two losses to Nate Diaz, um, it's going to only um, you know, make sure that his detractors stay on top of him. Uh, it'll, it'll have to definitely put Nate Diaz on a whole other level, having beaten maybe not the best fighter in the UFC, but definitely the biggest draw in the UFC. Um, but when you put all the ingredients of what's going into this fight, the weight class, the, the first fight, what this means to both Diaz and McGregor, in ways, Diaz has always been Mr. Anti-Establishment. McGregor, for the longest time, was Mr. Establishment. That's changed a little bit this year. And we saw that with him being removed from UFC 200 with him not attending a press conference. So maybe he's also turning into a bit of an anti-hero when it comes to his position in the UFC. Um, but there's just so much media attention on this. There's people that don't normally watch MMA or watch the UFC that are going to be tuned into this. Uh, I'm certainly super jealous uh, that I won't be there for the rematch, re- rematch like yourself. Um, but I- I'm just so looking forward to this. This is definitely arguably the fight of the year on paper anyway. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and, the fact that it isn't on UFC 200 in some ways is, is better for the UFC because the UFC were always going to get a big number on pay-per-view for UFC 200. So to almost put him on that card would almost dilute his impact. He's now at the top of a, an okay-looking uh, pay-per-view card. There's some, there's, there's some good names on that card, some good fights on that card. But really, it's all about that fight at the top of the card. This is, this is huge. So it's going, to be, it's going to be a huge one. And uh, I'm looking forward to getting over there. Fight week's going to be crazy. Uh, and uh, as I say, the, uh, the Brit Pack will have a special uh, Las Vegas edition of the podcast in two weeks' time where we will bring you uh, all the reaction that matters from backstage at UFC 202 over there at the T-Mobile Arena. Now, that wasn't the only big story to break uh, in terms of the UK and Ireland this week. Michael Bisbing... Uh, whether he was tired of waiting, whether he's been given the green light, or whether the guy's just gone rogue, I don't know. <laughs> Michael Bisbing has announced the fight that I think most of us already knew was likely to be likely, was likely to be made. Michael Bisbing, Dan Henderson, UFC 204, October the 8th in Manchester. The one that we were all hoping for is going to happen. Uh, it's the opponent that Bisbing wants. It's, the, it's the, the fact that he's coming back home. It's the fact it's in Manchester, where he's never headlined for the UFC. Mm-hmm. He was due to headline against Mark Munoz a few years ago, but had to pull out due to his detached retina. Lyoto Machida stepped in that night. Um, and uh, it's probably, there's, there's not been any confirmation of the, uh, the, actual, the actual location. All signs pointing to it being the MEN Arena, the Manchester Arena, as it's now known. And all signs are pointing to it being middle of the night to accommodate pay-per-view in the US. Yep. Much like uh, happened in that arena for Ricky Hatton versus Costa Zhu back in, when was that? 2005, I think it was. Um, and that, that was a huge event, huge success. 22,000 fans packed the arena for that night. Uh, the way the UFC set the arena up will probably mean the capacity is a bit lower than that. You can expect a good 15,000, 16,000 people to be in those stands for Michael Bisbing and Dan Henderson. First off, is that the fight you wanted to see? Second off, is that fight going to go Bisbing's way? Second time round. That's an interesting question. Is it the fight 
that I wanted to see. Maybe a, maybe there are parts of me that want to always see the best fight the best. Um, and so if I'm looking at that part of my psyche when I kind of analyze a sport, being a fan of the sport, maybe not. Maybe I wanted to see the Rockhold rematch. Maybe I wanted to see him versus Jacare. Maybe I wanted to see him versus Romero. I'm not, I'm not too sure. Maybe even Weidman, right? But there's also a part of me that likes um, stories, that likes angles. Maybe this is um, the pro wrestling fan of, inside me um, that kind of transi- transitioned into an MMA fan uh, over the years. And I think what you've got with Henderson and Bisping is a rivalry. It's a seven-year-old story. It's, it's a story that requires um, an ending. And uh, w- one way or another, we're going to find out how this story ends um, when the UFC make make their return to the UK on October. 8th. Well, what I find hilarious about this whole situation is I think this is probably the worst kept secret in in the UFC or in MMA right now. I'm not too sh- I'm not quite sure why um, the UFC haven't made this f- official statement. Maybe they've got some late night license or permits in Manchester to kind of you know clear or you know get all the eyes uh, dotted and the T's crossed and so forth, but. That Michael Bisping wouldn't make an announcement like that if this wasn't essentially signed, sealed, and delivered on his part. So I think it's fair to say that given Dan Henderson gave an interview um, about a week ago and then Michael Bisping returned from his trip to Thailand and on his podcast made this announcement, I think it's pretty safe to assume that this fight is going to go ahead. In regards to how I think the fight's going to go down, I mean, I have to favour Bisping. I mean, I think Henderson, maybe five, six, seven years ago, was still in his in his peak. I think, and something about Bisping, although he's in his late thirties, he's like he said in a few interviews, he's finally figured it all out. He's finally figured out how, how best to prepare for a fight. He's finally kind of f- figured out how best to make use of his own skill set. And he's got this some this aura about him. I can't quite explain it. But when you're coming off uh, 2016 that he's had so far, where he he beat. Um, Anson Silva, he, he by decision, which was rightly so the, the correct decision, he he flawlessly beats Luke Rockhold by knockout. I mean, I think he just wants that um, revenge on Dan Henderson. If uh, for those of you who haven't seen it, maybe some newer listeners, some newer fans of the sport, um, if you're a subscriber to UFC Fight Pass, go back and watch it. UFC 100. It was essentially the H-bomb that made Dan Henderson's logo and brand um, on his shorts and his, and, his, uh, and his fight kit and essentially helped him launch his own kind of uh, promotion or business with that flying fist through the air. And, um, and obviously he knocked out Bisping, who at the time was vying for a title shot. Things have now certainly changed with regards to uh, Michael Bisping's position in the company versus Dan Henderson's. But I think with uh, with Henderson um, nearing retirement now, I think Bisping will probably um, get a decision if he probably can't maybe finish Dan Henderson via TKO, maybe sometime in the third or fourth round. But what's going to be really interesting is to see the storylines and the, and the interviews come out and develop between now and fight night. I think for Bisping's perspective, it might be quite cathartic for him to kind of let go of all the emotions he's had to hold inside for such a very long time. That knockout has been replayed over and over and over on social media. It's probably flooded Bisping's timeline from some of his, you know, not so eager fans over the years. But um and it's a great storybook ending for Henderson because win or lose, he is riding off into the sunset. He's already said that this is going to be his last fight. Um, so, so I think it's going to be an interesting fight. Um, I definitely think it's the right fight for Bisping and for the promotion to put on in the UK because of that history. And you've got a legend uh, like Dan Henderson available to you. You've got to pull the trigger on a fight like that. Let me give you a, a little line and a, a short story on this that you probably won't hear anywhere else. Um, obviously, we know all about what happened in the first fight. And we know the damage that it did to Michael Bisbing uh, and his immediate career. Um, in fact, there's, 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 there's two things to mention here. First one, I had an interview uh, a while back. It was ahead of uh, International Fight Week. I spoke to Ross Pearson. And Ross Pearson said to me that Bisbing doesn't get the credit he deserves because who else, whether it be boxing or mixed martial arts, has suffered a knockout so big, so emphatic, so brutal... And then gone on to bigger and better things and then won a world title. You don't see things like that. People get knocked out like that. Their career's finished. 
Bisping went on to become an enormous success, a mainstay in the top 10 of the UFC middleweight division, got his shot at the title and won it by a knockout. That in itself is incredible. So the fact that Bisping has bounced back from that, he's already won. He doesn't need this fight other than for his own personal, you know, just just putting things to bed, you know. Now, the story that you probably won't have heard is, is a, because it's a, almost a personal one to me. Back then, I was working for the Daily Mirror. And uh, one of the things I was doing then was I was, I was pushing to get uh, mixed martial arts uh, I onto the main Daily Mirror website and uh, also into the into the newspaper as well. And it, I was fighting a bit of a losing battle, to be fair. We managed to get it onto the website, and it's, it still lives on today, and there are guys doing good stuff over there. Um, but it wasn't getting anywhere in the press, The last in, in terms of in print. And uh, the chief sports writer at the time is a, a very, very well-respected sports journalist by the name of Oliver Holt. Um, and uh, he had a regular sports column every week in the paper. He's sports journalist of the year multiple times over. He watched UFC 100, and he basically, in his opinion column, he just wrote a little bit, um, and uh, he basically said, "I've been getting interested by this. You know, it's, it's hooked me. It's interested me. The idea of the best fighting the best, and all the rest of it, blah blah blah." But then he saw that knockout. Now, the knockout itself didn't—I don't think—was the concern. It was the. It was what came after the follow-up. The follow-up. The flying forearm on a guy who everybody in the room knew was out. Because he was he was out the minute Henderson touched yep. him, right? And Henderson yet still did the flying forearm smash. That switched him off completely. And he wrote about it saying, that completely disgusted me. The minute I saw that that sort of thing is allowed, I thought, that is not for me. I'm not interested in that anymore. And he wrote that in the paper. And he's one of the... I think at the time he was Sports Journalist of the Year. If he'd have written a piece that said, this is unbelievable, this is the fastest growing sport in the world, and here's why I love it. Guaranteed, other outlets would have started picking this up, and it would start started to grow. What actually happened, and this is absolutely nothing against Oliver Holt at all, he saw something that disgusted him, and he, he said so. And I think that that set the sport back over here in terms of media coverage, and I think... In, it's a generational thing. Things are beginning to change, and I'm now very fortunate that I'm in a position with a national paper, you know, the biggest tabloid in the country, that we're now beginning to embrace it. And, uh, you know, I've been talking to people in the office today who freely admit to me that they're still not fans of the sport, but they respect the fact that it is a growing sport and they mm. respect the fact that there's a big audience for it. But back then, what happened there, I think, set the sport back in this country a good few years. I really do in terms of uh, mainstream coverage. Um, it's almost coming full circle then, isn't it, for you, when this fight comes comes to the to Manchester and, and comes down. Yeah. For a personal point of view for you, it's almost going to kind of like be a... Like we're talking about storylines and angles and, you know, seven years later, things coming to an end. It, yeah. It's almost like funny how things have changed in the last seven years in this country with, when it comes to MMA coverage. It really is. It really is. And, and you know, I'm so fortunate to be there to see Bisbing win the world title. And from being there and being told... You know, the words from someone else who worked back worked, worked in my office back then was, the day that goes in, in my paper is the day I resign. And this guy was one of the people who made decisions on what went in the paper. Wow. And uh, I thought to myself, wow, this isn't happening here then, is it? <laughs> um, and uh, I've since spoken to the guy, and he actually told me that, okay, I admit, I'll, you know, I'm, I'm not a fan, but you were right, which was great. And that, that, that literally happened about three weeks ago. Um, Brilliant. But, um, but, yeah, it's kind of weird how... Because Bisbing is the guy for the UK. He's been our poster boy, isn't yep. he? He's been the guy who the UFC make they work him so hard, sending him off to media outlets. A lot of the time back in the day who maybe weren't that that interested, but it was like, look, please just listen to him and you know, do this. And they'd do a little bit with him and all the rest of it. He'd have to answer these dumb questions that people, just because they're just not researched. And He certainly carried the heavy water for the UFC in the UK for the last decade. Absolutely. And, and now he's back in the UK as a world champion, Britain's first UFC world champion. Uh, we've got Liam McGeary as the first major world champion in terms of a big organisation. He obviously has the Bellator light, light heavyweight title. But in terms of the UFC, which is considered the gold standard in the sport, we've never had a British world champion. Bisping is the guy. Uh, yep. he, he deserves to be the first, the first. And for him to get that 
in and of itself is is brilliant. But now he wants to defend it. He wants to later rest a ghost that has been hovering over his head quite literally uh, for, for for seven or eight years. And uh, if he gets it done, then uh, I don't know what else there is for him to accomplish in his career. It wouldn't be a. You never know. You never know. We might see a double retirement. It's, it's entirely possible. I don't think we will because I think if he's still the world champion, there's earning potential. Right. You know, so it's, it's, it's a balancing act. Do you quit while you're on the top? Or do you think, well, I could go another fight. I'm going to earn another six-figure salary. Plus, I'm getting all this extra money from other, other sources because I'm the champion. Or do I say, this is the moment for me to bow out the closest possible fight to where, to where I came from in Manchester um, and go out on top. That would be a dream way to go out. Um, but uh, personally, I just hope that the needle isn't, doesn't get too personal between the two because I'm a big fan of both these guys. Sure. Uh, and uh, they've obviously got personal, a personal beef. Obviously, you know, their, their careers have collided. Uh, but I'd like to think that by the end of it, you know, we're, we're, we're both, you know, we're, we're sort of looking back on the career when they both have retired of two of the very best that we've seen. Well, you've got an iconic British MMA fighter taking on an iconic American MMA fighter. And I think hopefully hopefully the next time we're talking and, we, and we've got next week's show, um, in the next week, we've actually got an official statement by the UFC, perhaps with some more additional details with regards to uh, location and date and time and perhaps some other fights that, that are going to be on the card. But I think it's a fantastic opportunity uh, and it's also the very first time that the UFC are going to bring an actual pay-per-view to the UK in such a long time. It's been so many years. I think, if memory serves me correctly, the last pay-per-view, and I mentioned this a few episodes ago, was UFC 85 Bedlam. Now, following that event, the UFC did bring back numbered events like UFC 120 in London. But those were all shown on tape delay on Spike TV. They weren't actual pay-per-views. Yeah. So I know a lot of fans in the UK might... Um, not like the fact that this event's going to be really, really into the early hours of the morning. It could be the main, the main event will probably be um, around three, four, maybe five o'clock, something in that ballpark. But that's the only way at the, for the time being where we are in the sport, where we're going to get a UFC level pay-per-view in this country. So it's like you or leave it. And if it's if you're talking to us members of the media, we'll like that all day long. Absolutely, and I think I think for the fans that are actually going to be there, it'll make it special. Yeah. Because it'll be different. It'll be, okay, we're having a late night. We are going to the MEN. And, and UFC fans in the UK are used to staying up till 5, 6 anyway, so they it shouldn't are. take too much difference. They are. I mean, let's, 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 let's be honest here. It would be better if, it, if this fight was on primetime uh, television it would obviously be better. Yeah. You get more casual fans tuning in to watch. Sure. Uh, and that is, that's the, you know, that's the goal, right? That's, that, that's what we want to see in this country. But in the meantime, you know, we've got to make these baby steps. We've got, to, you know, you, we need to just gradually, gradually, you know, I, I remember I did a video ages ago on, on YouTube. I was just messing about and I recorded a, I put together a, a, a fantasy fight card for UFC London. And uh, I remember getting people tweet me saying, I like your video, sire, but you've got your head in the clouds. There's no way Anderson Silva and Michael Bisping are going to main event in London. What happened? Michael Bisping and Anderson Silva main evented in London. It shocked me when it happened as well, to be fair. That was but Christmas come early for all of us. Christmas Eve. Yeah. I'll tell you this. I had to stop. I had to put the head family Christmas Eve dinner back because I got a phone call. Um, I have to talk to you. I'll mention that on a future show. But um, but yeah, so the you know the UFC are making strides over here and I think the days of people criticising the UFC for basically forgetting about the UK, I think those days are gone now. We've got a, a, an established office in London. Uh, we're, we're, doing, we're doing a lot more business in the EMEA region in general, and the hub of that is right here in the capital, in London. So, um, and they're, they're seeing huge success. You know, they sold out the UFC London show in half an hour with no main event. Um, so... You know, I think it, I think Manchester will be a huge success. We'd love to have it on at prime time. Looks as if it will be on for US prime time. We'll take that for now. Yeah. But um, you know, having a big world championship fight with a British champion coming home to defend his belt, it doesn't get much better than that. That 
almost wraps things up, but we've got some questions. We have got questions, and this is going to be a regular uh, occurrence on the show where we're going to finish off um, with questions sent in to us by the fans, the listeners of the show. Uh, but before we do that, so I, I just want to quickly mention BT Sport and Cage Warriors struck a deal in the last seven days. Yes. Just want to give a quick mention of that, uh, which I think is fantastic news. All it essentially means is moving forward, all of Cage Warriors events will be shown on BT Sport live. Now, the live element wasn't something that was specifically mentioned in the press release. That's something that I followed up with with uh, the Cage Warriors CEO, uh, Graham Boylan, and he, he confirmed that all the events would be live, which I think is fantastic. What this means is, theoretically, you could in the future have uh, a primetime MMA on a Saturday night via Cage Warriors events, followed perhaps by a UFC event a little bit later on that night. So, um, I mean, a massive amount of hours of, of MMA. But what it also means is that some of the up-and-coming talent from Europe and from the UK specifically that are going to get maybe these main event slots uh, via these Cage Warriors shows will just help build their audience, galvanize their fan base in the UK, perhaps before they kind of climb the ladder and perhaps make it into the UFC. But what I will say is if I'm Bellator, I'm keeping a very close eye on these Cage Warriors events and I'm keeping a close eye on some of their stars because if these stars are being built up uh, and primed for a big stage via a platform like BT Sport, I'd try and maybe get in there and at least try and compete to cherry-pick some of the big stars that Cage Warriors are starting to build up uh, because Bellator will be back um, in the UK. But just very quickly, Simon, just wanted to kind of get your two cents on, on the deal between BT Sport and Cage Warriors as well. It's fantastic. I mean, we, we, we mentioned it previously, um, but it is now 100% official. We've obviously got the... Uh, all of the detail out on that now. Um, I think it's great. And as you say, we could have this dream scenario where you've got a 5.30pm Premier League game, then a live Cage Warriors event, then UFC Countdown, then live UFC pay-per-view. And it would run back to back to back to back. Um, People might need to get out and do some exercise and see some daylight (laughs) beforehand. Before being a couch potato for the rest of the day, which I'm, I'm, an, I'm almost professional standard at now. Um, but yeah, I think it's fantastic. I really, th- you know, it's it, it's the equivalent in football terms of having uh, a Champions League game or a Premier League game on in the evening, but then showing a Championship game just before it, because this is the next wave. This is the next level of talent, um, and uh, Cage Warriors have got a track record, a proven track record of producing top draw stars for the UFC, people who haven't just gone into the UFC and lasted a couple of fights and been cut. We're talking people who've been in there, made a major impact uh, and won world championships or competed for world championships or have competed at a high level for an extended period of time. Yoani and Jacek, Michael Bisbing, obviously examples of that. Dan Hardy is former Cage Warriors. Uh, Ross Pearson is former Cage Warriors. Conor McGregor is former two-weight Cage Warriors champion. So uh, they're a proven, proven uh, source of talent uh, for the UFC. And uh, you get on board with watching these Cage Warriors events, then you're getting on board with the next, the next generation of stars, without doubt. So uh, I think that's great. And, and for those guys to get that platform, it helps them from a personal point of view. They're able to get better sponsorship. They're able to put more into their careers and... and gives them a better shot of if and when they get to the stage of jumping into the UFC, they're going to be more ready. Yep. So it works all the way down. You know, It isn't just about being seen on TV from a career perspective and hopefully from a financial perspective, it might help those guys as well. So nothing but good things about that deal and I'm really looking forward to watching that stuff live. I think the first one that we're going to see is, is it September the 10th? Liverpool. Echo Arena, Liverpool. So, yep. so that'll be the first one. So looking forward to checking that out, and uh, best of luck to those guys. Right, so with that being said, we are going to now go into some questions, quick fire. Um, And like I said before, if you want to get your questions in, uh, the the Twitter handle is the Britpack MMA, or you can hit up Simon and myself. Simon's Twitter handle is at Simon Head. Mine's is at Sandu MMA. And uh, we're just going to try and get us through as many of these as we as we possibly can, just to get some interaction between you, our audience, uh, and us, the journalists on this uh, on this podcast. So we're going to start off with Harish Vicaria, who tweets in and says, "Are titles losing their prestige and value?" as many are now opting for quote-unquote money fights 
over title fights. Si, what do you think? I wrote this story the other day. I've called it a new division of... Um, I think the first time I heard it was a guy called Danny Segura who writes for MMA Fighting. And I used the term money weight. And I've kind of jumped on that. And uh, it's a new division in the UFC, the money weight division. It was started by Connor and Nate. Tyron Woodley wants a piece of that action now. He, he doesn't want to face Wonderboy Thompson. He wants to face GSP or Nick Diaz in a money fight. That's a money fight. It's not a world championship fight. It's a money fight, uh, even though he's got the belt. So um, for me, I want to see the championship fights being the standard. Everything else should come after that. That's my opinion. It's difficult because you're balancing it up with uh, the business side and selling pay-per-views and all the rest of it. And sometimes the biggest fight isn't number one v number two. But the UFC has made their reputation off the back of the best fighting the best, and they can't steer too far away from that. Make the odd exception, fine. But it's absolutely imperative that for the UFC's sporting integrity to be kept uh, at the absolute highest level, those world championship fights have got to be... The, you know the the end all be all of the sport for sure. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think you've got Nick Diaz who's making his return. You've got GSP making his return. None of them have said they really want to come back for another title run or to try and get a title shot. They're looking for the biggest fights possible, and that puts them in that money weight category. And I think if you're the UFC, like you said, Simon, you want to try and hold these championship belts in a certain regard, a prestige, uh, the top of the mountain, so to speak. But at the same time, there will be opportunities now and then where you just put in fighter A versus fighter B, and it's uh, uh, like Diaz and McGregor fight and get 170 it doesn't make sense but it makes sense if you know what i mean if it makes dollars it makes sense That's absolutely what absolutely so um but yeah so moving on uh, a tweet in by gi jitsu hi chmatka slash simon great show question are brits in mma closing the wrestling gap with u.s competition what do you think si yes and no that's that's a nice uh, nice answer isn't it just completely non-committal um they're closing the gap to a point, but that's because a lot of them are now training overseas and getting the benefit. Or they're getting guys in uh, into their camps in the UK who have that high-level wrestling ability, whether it's from Eastern Europe or, or, or whether it's from, from the States. We're not a wrestling country. Yep. We've got a few, a few notable exceptions. There's a guy called Mike Grundy who fights domestic level with Bama, who uh, had some success in the Commonwealth Games as a wrestler. Um, but we don't have elite-level uh, talent pool of, of, of wrestlers so we are going to be a bit behind in that respect but I, I'm, of the, I'm of the view that wrestling while it is an important aspect of MMA it's, I think it's slightly overplayed now because I think the level of guys who are coming into the UFC who, who are able to hang around they've got enough defensive wrestling mm. that they're able to negate it and I think what we're, and we've seen it with jiu-jitsu we've seen it with wrestling and I think that they tend to cancel each other out a lot more than they used to. We used to see massive gaps in terms of wrestling and in terms of jiu-jitsu. And I think what we're going to see over the next few years, striking is going to be the art that really decides these fights because it's much harder to negate striking. So um, I think uh, I think British... And also, if you look at the world champions in, in the UFC right now, most of them are strikers. Yeah. Uh, they've got a wrestling... You know, they've got good enough wrestling. Wonderboy Thompson was a brilliant striker when he arrived in the UFC. He's been able to climb the ladder because he's improved his wrestling. But ultimately, he's a striker. And I think that once you get to a certain level, then you're in a position where what's on top of that? And if you've not got anything on top of that, you're not going to win too much. You're also not going to get too many big bonus checks if you're just a wrestler. Absolutely. And I think I want to spin the question around to Gijitsu. And instead of the bit, the Brits closing the, the wrestling gap, it might be a case of whether perhaps uh, fighters from other parts of the world are perhaps, like you mentioned, Simon, um, closing the striking gap. You've got guys like Conor McGregor who came from a, a boxing background. What you've, got, what you've got in the UK island are really great boxers, really great strikers. And this new, new wave of strikers like the likes of Michael Venom Page coming from a point kickboxing background... That seems to be where the next generation of fighters are going to come from, from this part of the world, from this talent pool, where striking combat sports um, are a lot higher standard and there's lots more avenues for kids to kind of get into striking forms of combat sport. 
But um, but I think, like you said, whether it's a transition of the the UK guys going over to the US to learn wrestling or just to learn enough defensive wrestling, things like the sprawl and so forth, to kind of keep the the action on the feet, that might just do them um, well enough to kind of succeed at the very elite level um, of the game. So so moving forward, Fuego tweets in, after Daniel Cormier fights the winner of Rumble Johnson versus Glover Teixeira, who do you think is next in line? And that's a very interesting question. We've got um, Alexander Gustafsson, who's going to be fighting Jan Blakovic uh, coming up some, in September. I think he's still got some work to do before he fought, gets another title shot. I think uh, with Gustafsson, um, he needs to kind of build himself up again. I think Rashad Evans could potentially fight Daniel Cormier again if he can you know, get some you know, wins struck together. What we're going to find out pretty soon is how long of suspension John Jones is going to get because if it is two years and you're looking at a division that's really very, very weak, um, so there's going to be a lot of work both from the fighters' perspective to put on performances and get winning streaks together, but at the same time, the UFC are going to have to put in a lot of work to, to, to tell the stories, to put the promotional hustle and muscle behind some of these fighters and, and build them up for future contenders uh, for Daniel Cormier. Um, but what do you think, Sai? Apart from Rumble and Glover, who else is out there to potentially fight him? To be honest, right now there isn't. I think, I think, there, is a, I think there is a gap. I think you've got those, tight, those top guys at the, the very uh, sharp end of the division, and then I think there's a bit of a gap. Um, and I think it's going to need someone to either hit a real hot run of form or it's going to need someone new to burst onto the scene and fly up the rankings. I think uh, Gustafsson is the next guy. Uh, he, assuming all goes well, then uh, I, think, I think he's going to be the next guy. Cool. All right. Well, um, we'll find a few questions then. And we've got the People's Hero who tweets in, If Dan Henderson retires with the middleweight title, will that hurt the division? Now, Simon, I've got, I've got a mental image. Right. If Dan Henderson beats Michael Bisping, I can see him in my head on a horse riding off into the sunset with the stars and stripes over his left shoulder and the UFC middleweight championship belt over his right right shoulder and just waving goodbye to the whole MMA community. And that's the last we'll see of (laughs) that's my really out there mental image. But um, but I think it will be quite poetic if he does win. And kind of just leave the championship belt in the octagon. Um, perhaps we could even have our very first open tournament in the UFC, uh, throwing it back to the early days of the promotion uh, to find a next champion. But I don't think it will devalue it too much, in my opinion. I think everyone knows that for Dan Henderson, this is his Leonardo DiCaprio Oscar moment. This is his gold Rolex after a very long career in the sport. Uh, nothing more, nothing less. Um, and I think if he was to stick around, he'll eventually get found out anyway with the current crop of talent in that weight class. But what do you think, Sai? If he wins, I think I think it depends on how he wins. I think if it goes to a decision and it's a close one, then uh, you can imagine Bisbing getting a shot against whoever's next. Um, if he starches Bisbing again, then all bets are off and it's a case of, right, what do you do next? And you are going to have to have some sort of mini, whether it's an official tournament or an unofficial tournament, you need to do some sort of elimination series to decide on who who, who the top two guys are. Um, I've got no qualms with him winning and riding off into the sunset. I like the I like the idea of someone winning the belt, then laying it down in the octagon with their gloves and just saying thank you very much, I'm done. Yeah. I think that's you know that's the perfect way to end a career. And for Henderson, a guy who obviously was a Pride World champion, to be able to do that in the UFC as well would be would, would be fantastic. So um, obviously as a Brit I would much, I would much prefer to see Michael Bisbing win, um, and uh, but if Dan Henderson wins, then uh, it won't devalue it. No, I mean it wouldn't devalue it any more than giving him the title shot. Yeah, exactly. I agree. Right. So final few questions. Will Martin tweets in and says, "To me, the hype for UFC 202 seems a little subdued. Do you guys feel the same, or do we just wait for it to take off?" I kind of agree with Will a little bit, but I think there's more of a serious tone to the promotion. It hasn't been uh, put together, Diaz and McGregor, on 11 days' notice. There's been a lot of time and you know weeks and months put into the promotion. But I think 
things are slowly starting to ramp up. And I think we saw that with the UFC media conference call on Friday. There were a few zingers and barbs thrown um, thrown both from uh, Diaz and from McGregor. But I think when it comes to fight week, I think just one more press conference. I think the, the, the UFC 200 press conference they put together uh, during International Fight Week um, had really bad production um, in regards to the, the mic levels. Oh, the audio in the arena was terrible. You, could, was, you couldn't hear them. And, I was in the arena. You could not hear a word of them. Yeah, and and I think that will cause a lot of problems with Diaz and McGregor having a potential back and forth. I think the um, the the press conference they put together prior to 196 in California, very intimate setting in a gym. Mm. They could hear each other. There was a lot of um, uh, anticipation with that press conference because it was put together so quickly. Uh, but I think come fight week. Uh, when these two guys get together and start to do all the, the real big media stuff, we're going to start to peel the onion a little bit. And I think the promotion will really start to ramp up. And we'll also see what special uh, production um, and VT and um, and bits and pieces the UFC are going to roll out on social media that week as well. Absolutely. And, and, and for Will, thanks for the question, Will. What you've got to bear in mind as well is... That fight was very short notice. I think it was like 11 days, was it? Or 8 days? 11 days, yeah. So that's about how far we are from the fight now. So if you can imagine that fight was announced today, now the buzz begins. Now the buzz begins. So I think to compare it, now you're, you're basically comparing it with what happens now because that's all the buzz we had last time. We, you know, we had buzz for a different fight up to that point. It was going to be the RDA fight. So uh, really we're drawing a line in the sand today and saying... The build, or yesterday, really, with all the WWE talk, you know, the build-up starts now, and uh, he's already got the entire professional wrestling community uh, pulling for Nate Diaz. So uh, I think he's he's not he's not started too badly so far, but yeah, I think he's only going to build, and once we hit fight week, he's going to get chaotic very quickly. Right, and final question coming in from Simba Moshi tweets in and says, if Conor McGregor was brought into the WWE, would it be bigger? than when Mayweather did it. So this is going on uh, from what I said earlier on in the show, where Mayweather had a special appearance at a WrestleMania, uh, taking on the big show. And um, it did pretty good numbers. I think the WWE was bringing him in to boost pay-per-view numbers. And I think if you're looking across the combat sports landscape right now, the biggest draw, without a doubt, is Conor McGregor. Would it be McGregor back in the day? Uh, Mayweather, sorry, back in the day, partnering up with WWE? I think so. I think the WWE is as bigger and better than it's ever been in quite a few years. McGregor's no doubt the biggest star in MMA. You put those two things together, you build it up with a nice storyline, a nice angle, with McGregor playing the heel, and that's got you know dollar bills printed all over it yeah and you know the difference between between mayweather pitching up to take on take on in quotes the big show um and uh mcgregor pitching up mcgregor will give you stuff mcgregor will get on the microphone and will quite happily stand in front of an arena of fifteen thousand crazy americans holding wrestling placards and tell them they're all stupid he will do that he will and he will love doing that it's something i'd love to see as I, I hinted earlier, I'd love to see him do like Survivor Series and have like an all Irish team in a Survivor Do the old school Survivor, yeah. uh, Survivor Series. I don't, I don't even know if they do that anymore. But if they did, that would be great. Get all the Irish Irish talent onto a team. McGregor being the uh, being the, the you know the Irish Jimmy Hart, and uh, I think it'd, it'd be superb. It'd be great at it, and it would be huge business. Yes, it would be bigger than Mayweather. It's funny you mentioned the Survivor Series setup because I had this um, idea over the weekend, and I don't know how if it would ever even be possible. But I had an idea of kind of building on this McGregor-Nate Diaz rivalry. And perhaps maybe if they were to fight a third time, maybe you could just have some sort of scrap pack versus team SBG main card or or just SBG versus um, Stockton, California's best and brightest and youngest fighters, something along those lines. But I had a similar idea. Where... Well, we have got uh, Artem Lubov versus uh, Chris Avila. That's which right. Is, which is going to be on that card on the prelims. So we've kind of got a little taste of that. Yeah. Um, I don't know uh, whether the rosters are deep enough to fill a card. No, no. Probably, you, you probably get two or three fights out of them, though. Yeah. And, you know, we've got two, so... Uh, Chris Avila, who, who's worked extensively with Nate, he's been a part. He's been a part of that camp for years. Yeah, getting his shot in the UFC against uh, against Artem, who really needs a win, really needs a win. But uh, yeah, Connor in the WWE is just money. Connor in the UFC is just money. Connor is just money. He's he he's the guy right now. Whatever he does, it makes news. And even people who aren't have never even watched a UFC fight, they know who Conor McGregor is. Yep. Or increasingly, these people are learning who Conor McGregor is. And uh, yeah, 
I think we're going to see a big number on the pay per view. Uh, viewership when well you know when we get back from this event I think it's going to be I think it's going to be a big event how it, how, how it turns out will, will remain to be seen but a lot of eyeballs are going to be watching that fight for sure yeah and uh, and that is the show for today ladies and gentlemen Simon next week we are going to record this on Sunday because you're flying out to Vegas Monday morning that's right yeah so I'm not sure if we're going to release this on Sunday or keep the release schedule for Monday but we are going to record this on Sunday of next week in case anyone is interested in throwing questions our way we usually send out a few tweets the day that we're going to record the podcast Um, but that is it we are wrapped for today all done and dusted that was episode number three there are myriad ways you can get in touch with us uh, and and can listen to the show you can listen on SoundCloud soundcloud.com slash the Brit Pack you can listen via iTunes subscribe via iTunes you can subscribe via Stitcher you can now subscribe via Acast, acast.com slash the Britpack is a place to go there. You can also download their app from Acast and listen via their app if you so choose. You can get in touch with us on Twitter at the Britpack MMA. Sandu is at Sandu MMA. I am at Simon Head. That was the Britpack episode number three. We will be back with number four next week. Enjoy a week off. Get some sleep at normal time and uh, we will speak to you in a week's time. Take care.